evening. If you're in the habit of watching the BBC or Sky News or listening to radio versions of the above, then you'll be used to the description of poor, desperate migrants crossing the English Channel. That is how they're always described. And when people like me, over the course of the last two years, after repeatedly going into the Channel and studying this, point out, no, actually, they're really quite aggressive young men in many cases who, when they arrive in Dover, you know, they're high-fiving, they're filming TikTok videos, and they don't look like poor, desperate refugees fleeing total poverty and, and war. Um, and these TikTok videos have been put out over the weekend in Albania, and here they are basically boasting. They're boasting about what a great trip they've had across the channel, how wonderful it is to be in the UK. Um, and remember, I showed you these videos last week. Well, little did I know just the extent to which Albanians have started to come, because there was a really big story that came out in the Mail on Sunday. My political colleague Richard Tice was the source of much of it, explaining to us that for a period in July, over 40% of those that came were from Albania. Well, let's get this straight. Albania is a NATO member. Albania is an applicant to join the European Union. Albania is a holiday destination for people from the United Kingdom. And not one single one of those young men that has come from Albania would ever qualify as a refugee under any definition. And we have the power in that case, as they've come illegally, to send them back. Along, by the way, with the 1,500 Albanians that are currently in British prisons. And yet, we appear to be doing nothing. What I can tell you is the Albanian involvement in the drugs trade and many other illegal activities is reaching a level that genuinely worries the Metropolitan Police. And there is this curious trend, you may have seen it, of so-called Turkish barbers setting up all over the country. You'll find, in almost every case, they're Albanian. You'll find that, actually, most of the car washes now are run by Albanians. Could it be that, they, that these businesses, effectively, are fronts for pushing money through? I'm going to investigate that more deeply over the course of the next few weeks. But for now, my question to you. Should Albanians that illegally cross the English Channel be deported back to Albania as we have the right and the power to do. Farage at gbnews.uk. Now, over the weekend, there was perhaps a slightly better sign from our French friends on the other side, who we continually send extra tens of millions of pounds to, to stop the cross-channel trade. And Mark White, our Home Security Editor. Uh, Mark, the French, it looks like perhaps for once even doing their job. Yeah, they were photographed on a beach between Calais and Dunkirk going up to a migrant boat, one of these bigger boats that was about to carry 45 people across the English Channel, jumping out of the vehicle, stabbing it, puncturing it uh, and smashing up the outboard motor. So how let's, let's have a look at it. how often this will happen we don't yeah. know it comes of course as we reach that figure of 18 and a half thousand people who've crossed here's my report at first light the border force vessel typhoon arrives into dover harbor with the latest batch of those pulled off small boats in the english channel 
It follows a weekend in which the total number who've crossed in small boats so far this year has now topped 18,000. In fact, GB News analysis of those arriving shows 18,500 have now made the journey, well ahead of the 11,000 who crossed at this point last year. With no end in sight to this crisis, an apparent change of tactic by French authorities. We've obtained these images of a group of Channel migrants on the beach at Gravelines between Calais and Dunkirk. As they make a dash for the water, an unmarked police vehicle races to intercept them. Within seconds, police jump out and start puncturing the inflatable with a knife. Moments later, as the boat deflates, they start smashing up the vessel's outboard motor. Those who had seconds earlier been racing towards the sea made a dash back towards the dunes. The former head of UK Border Force says he welcomes this belated change in the response of French law enforcement. This is a good sign uh, that we are now seeing this kind of operational uh, collaboration and I hope very much that the French police will continue to augment their resources on the French beaches and to disable these vessels because that's, that can only be beneficial to us. But for every boat the French stop, many more make it across. On the same day they were puncturing the dinghy on the beach, ten other small boats made it to UK waters and 337 people were taken here to the processing centre at Dover Harbour before formally entering an asylum system already in deep crisis. Mark White, GB News. So those shots were taken this morning. Uh, as I understand it, there are operations going on on the channel right now. Yes, that's right. First boat came in just at uh, first light this morning and still out in the channel this evening. It's still going on. The Border Force Catamaran Hurricane is out there at the moment, Nigel. It's been out there for about four hours in the same type of area. Uh, we think they've maybe picked up three boatfuls and we'll be heading back to Dover at some point in the near future. I mean, great to see the French stabbing one of the boats. I'm delighted. But you know what? If you look at that coastline from which those boats launch, it's certainly over 40 miles long and it could be even longer than that, possibly hundreds of square miles of sand dunes. I mean, it would take literally thousands of police, wouldn't it, to stop these boats coming? Yeah, it's a massive area. I mean, I think they know roughly the, the beaches that they're setting off from, but still, it's a big commitment law enforcement-wise. Uh, the cynic in me perhaps suggests that we should look to some timing uh, that is uh, an announcement that's due really in the coming days from the Home Secretary about the renewal of a multi-million pound deal to... Uh, help the oh, French police their borders. So, Pretty Patel will say, look at the wonderful job they're doing, let's send them 25 more million or another 100 million or whatever However it is. However much it may be, yeah. Goodness gracious me. And, Mark, the Albanians that are coming, very large numbers of Albanians coming, there's nothing stopping us deporting every single one of them, is there? No, well, I mean, having watched this whole crisis grow over the years... Albanians now, I've seen it when there were Romanians and Bulgarians coming across when they weren't in the European Union. Vietnamese, lots of African nations, they're all represented. They're not fleeing war-torn countries. They are fleeing 
poverty, perhaps, in their own countries. And yes, Albania is one of those countries where you think that they could just turn them around yeah. immediately and say, there is no legitimate reason yeah. for you to be here. But that, as far as we know, is not happening, Nigel. Well, we'll keep the pressure on the two campaigns to be Prime Minister and see what they have to say. Mark White, as ever, thank you. Now, being British, we absolutely must, I think, talk about the weather because a prolonged heat wave has begun. It's going to last, I think, for quite a long time. Temperatures perhaps not going to reach those dizzy heights of 40 degrees centigrade, but it is going to be warm for some time to come, and it is going to be very dry for some time to come. Well, joining me down the line is meteorologist for the British Weather Service, Jim Dale. Um, Jim, thank you for joining us here on GB News. I guess with this prolonged dry spell now ahead of us, it's beginning to feel a bit more like 1976. A little bit, yes, I guess it is. Um, except there's a couple of sharp spikes that we had last, uh, well, three weeks ago with the 40 degree. We never got to that sort of height back in 1976. Um, I kind of remember it as a young teenager, uh, 1976, sitting in the street day after day after day. Um, I guess now looking at the, and especially the, obviously this is southern England and, and southern Wales more than it is the, the north of the country, but nonetheless, it's, uh, it's got a similar tone to it. Let's let me put it that way. Yeah, no, it does certainly feel that way to me, and I remember it extremely well, I must say. Now, big campaign, fire chiefs now saying that not just disposable barbecues should be banned, but urging people not even to have outdoor barbecues on their patios or elsewhere. Um, that, I think, is going a little bit too far, but just give us some assessment of where you see water levels in southern England and elsewhere as we face some quite substantial hosepipe bans coming in from this Friday. Yeah, sure. Going back, you've got to go back to the winter, actually, because it starts. This is not a, a, a short thread, if you like. This didn't happen yesterday or even a couple of weeks ago. This goes all the way back to the winter time and then through a very dry spring um, and equally dry early summer. And we've arrived now and some of these areas that we're talking about and you're showing pictures of the very brown grass, if it does exist at all, it's probably all dead. Um, no, this is this is this is really not. It's kind of crept up, up on us in a way, but it's kind of gone on and on and on without any uh, meaningful rainfall whatsoever. And looking forward, um, I actually don't see the models are not seeing anything going forward now for another seven to ten days in the south. Uh, maybe by next Monday we'll start to see a bit of rain in the north. Again, so it's the southern counties, really, roughly from the wash down to Bristol Channel that, that will probably arguably miss this, um, the, the areas that most need it. So the drought continues and it will only get worse. And those barbecues, by the way, the fire, the fire um, prevention people, they're right. They're, they're absolutely right. We've got to do everything to stop. I noticed today in the Chilterns in Buckinghamshire, uh, where I live, uh, fires breaking out, and, and sadly there'll be more to come. And they, 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 they do cause a lot of problems on the roads and other places. So, and with a bit of wind blowing as well, Nigel, you're going to see, uh, I'll use the word wildfire, because that's probably the right terminology when these, when, uh, when these fires start to rage. So it's all ahead of us. Yeah. Yeah, no, we've got to be sensible. Absolutely, I agree with that. And, and, and maybe the restrictions will get even worse. Now, there are some saying that despite the fact we saw this in 1976 and we saw it in 1911 and there have been other hot, dry summers with mini droughts, is this all climate change in your view, Jim? 
I knew you'd get onto that one. Um, uh, let me let me say this: a, a single a single uh, event you can never put down to climate change per se. So, so in other words, the fact we've gone through a drought we did in 1970, you can't say, well, that's climate change. However, the trick is to join the dots. That's what we do in this job as a meteorologist and climatologist. That's what we do. Now, if you're joining the dots, you've got to look globally. Climate change does not just exist in the UK. Uh, it's, it's a global thing. So look at America. Look at uh, what's happened in the rest of Europe or good parts of the rest of Europe. Look what's happened in, in, in uh, Japan, for example. I'm talking about the extreme temperatures that have been seen. Uh, go to the southern hemisphere in wintertime, record-breaking uh, record temperatures in, in, in the winter in New Zealand. You join those dots, it points in one direction and one direction only, along with the data that yeah. goes with it. Uh, and that is the climate change that comes okay, in. So well, this event would have happened, it's just, it's just been accelerated uh, with it, if you, if you see what I'm saying. Well, help me with one thing, because I was flying back from America overnight and reading the New York Times, and a big screaming headline, three downpours in eight days, how extreme rain soaked the Midwest. 39 people died in the Midwest over the course of the last few days. And definitively, definitively, the New York Times saying that because of warming temperatures, there is more moisture in the atmosphere and we will get much, much heavier rainfall. Which is it? Is climate change giving us floods in the Midwest or drought in southern England? I'm confused. It's an easy one. It's both. It's exactly right. What the New York Times has said in terms of when you put more energy, more molecules, those molecules move faster. Uh, they contain more more energy and therefore they've got the capacity to suck up more moisture and then drop more moisture. So it's a catch-22. You both get the drought and then you get the deluge. And to be frank with you, probably, arguably, come the, come the uh, end of the summer here, we'll probably end up with a few floods ourselves. That's what happened in 1976 in September. My guess is it will probably happen again, but it is both. Jim, thank you very much indeed for joining us and giving us that well, assessment and certainly a very long, dry period. Welcome back. I asked you, should we deport people from Albania who illegally crossed the English Channel? Because I can't see any barrier to it. Your reaction? Well, unsurprisingly, really, Matt says they should only be deported if they have no right to stay. Well, that's a fair point. They have no right to stay. They're coming illegally. None of them, I repeat, not one of them would qualify as a refugee. And that's the really key point about this. Charlie says, easy answer, yes. Daryl says they should be deported, Nigel, but I bet they won't be. No ifs, no buts, says Sean. Deport them immediately. And Stephen says, no, let them all in. We need Labour. Well, Stephen, you may have a point on Labour, but if we're going to have foreign Labour, we'll do it legally under a work permit and we'll check people's criminal records before they come. Not this way. And that is my big worry. My big worry is so many of these that are coming in from Albania will be taken into criminality in this country. It's as simple as that. Now, an intervention from Gordon Brown. It's funny, isn't it? Ex-Prime Ministers never, ever go quietly. They always feel the need to intervene. And it's back to being Flash Gordon. Yes, not just the saviour of the planet, as he told us he was in the financial crash of 08. No, the saviour of people in this country. He says fuel poverty is creating a left-out generation that will never recover from the scars. Now, look. 
Gordon Brown is right about one thing. We are on the edge of an economic situation that for many millions of people actually genuinely is going to be an emergency. We can't pretend any different to that. Indeed, very interesting when consumer groups say that by the end of this year, up to half of households will either not be able to pay their bills at all or will need to increase borrowings to do so. We're facing a real problem. This is potentially much worse than the 08 financial crash. Much worse, I think, too, than what happened in 1973 with the oil price shock. This is a bit more of a 1929-type moment we're potentially looking at. But the Brown solution is, of course, massive increases in benefits. He doesn't suggest for a moment anywhere how any of it might be funded. And he doesn't mention the fact that because of this mindless pursuit of net zero goals, we have, and this is Labour and Conservative governments, we have significantly put up the price of energy in this country. We are not energy independent. We're nowhere near it. Uh, and actually, a lot of this we've done to ourselves. Now, on that, you know, I would say that the 5% VAT on fuel has got to go. I would also say the 25% surcharge on all of your electricity bills for renewable and social obligations. That has to go as well. That would be a start. But whoever wins this contest is going to have to think very, very hard and fast about what they do. Well, joining me is the Member of Parliament for Orpington. First time on the show, Gareth Bacon. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, you, you, of course, were backing uh, Badnock, uh, and you are one of the anti-woke MPs, I think is how I would describe mm. you. But you've switched your support in the last few days to Liz Truss. Mm. Um, main reason? Uh, I, I sat back and listened to what Liz was saying. I listened to, to Rishi as well. Um, after Kemi was eliminated uh, for the final uh, round yeah. of MP ballots, I voted for Liz. And then I spent the next sort of 10 or 11 days uh, listening to both candidates. And to be honest, uh, Liz is espousing more of what I personally believe in than Rishi. I mean, I think Rishi is a very capable candidate, a, a very good man. Uh, but Liz is more in tune with what I personally believe, so uh, I decided that I'd be voting for her. And perhaps on some of these energy bills, she might be saying some of the right things. Well, yeah, she's, um, her, her initial uh, offer is that she's going to suspend green, um, green levies for 12 months. Uh, there's going to be an emergency budget um, as soon as she gets elected, um, and that's going to look at a whole sweep of things. Um, she has said on things like our environmental policies, she's going to examine those with fresh eyes and see what might be possible. Well, um, and I think that's a step in the right direction. You see, I mean, one of the things that's the, that, that is a problem here is we've got the Prime Minister in Slovenia, we've got the Chancellor of the Exchequer in an unknown location, uh, there's nobody in charge of the rudder. Mm. Um, at the very moment when the Governor of the Bank of England says we're going into a 15-month recession, when things are worsening, when there is now a campaign of, and I'm not encouraging it, by the way, but there's mm. a campaign of civil disobedience up and running, saying, you know, we're just not going to pay our bills mm -hmm. come the autumn. And we're normally a very law-abiding country, but I've, I'm concerned that things might get out of control. We can't wait till the 5th of September. I just criticised Gordon Brown mm -hmm. in terms of, of saying massive benefit increases. You know, he can't fund it, he won't discuss net zero. But is he right? Should we really wait well, until I mean... the middle of September? to get some government addressing a problem. Because, you know, by the time you get that new budget through and the new Prime Minister in place, mm -hmm. we may well be right in the middle 
of this problem as the bills land mm -hmm. in October. I mean, your party is not going to be forgiven if it seemed to be asleep at the wheel. Well, the, the fact that the Prime Minister was out of the country doesn't mean the government stops, of course, and, and nor does it mean that if uh, the Chancellor is out of the country as well. So government has been, right across Whitehall, have been working on options for the new Prime Minister, whoever that may be, that they can select from. So my, I'm the Parliamentary Private Secretary to the Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster, Kit Morehouse, um, and he's had his shoulder to the wheel right through the last few weeks since he was appointed. Um, working up options in the Cabinet Office that any new incoming Prime Minister could take a look at. So uh, it is, I mean, the Prime Minister himself is back in the country. Um, I, I was listening to an interview uh, with Kit Morehouse on, in the car on the way over here, and uh, while he was on air, um, the Prime Minister was texting him uh, or tried to phone him. Um, so they, we, they were picking up options. Should afterwards. we wait for an emergency budget, or is Gordon Brown right to say that Parliament should be recalled given what we face? Well, there's no point in recalling Parliament unless you have a budget to talk about, um, and a lot of preparatory work has to go into that. You can't knock these things up on the back of an envelope. So, of course, I mean, the work is going on in Whitehall now. Um, of course, there needs to be a new right. government and then there'll be an emergency budget. Thoughts about the clips that you've seen today and the, the newspaper headlines yesterday. Now a huge number of young Albanian men. They're all men, mm -hmm. all young men coming in from Albania. Uh, there's no ECHR problem here mm -hmm. because we absolutely know they don't qualify for refugee status in any way at all. We've got mm -hmm. one and a half thousand in our prisons at the moment. Do you think Liz Truss will deal with this? Yes, I mean, look, what we're, yes, what we're describing is illegal immigration. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the, the, whole, the whole boat problem coming across the channel over the last two years has been illegal immigration. There are safe routes into this country legally, and these people are abusing it, and it's, it's people smugglers that are doing it. the government have done nothing. Well, the government have done quite, quite a lot, well, actually. they failed. Not yet, they haven't. Um, well, hang on so, a second. 28,500 people across the English Channel last year Gareth in small boats, despite Pretty Patel promising us over and over and over that she had the solution. People are pretty angry about yeah. this. What I'm saying to you is, Boris was always soft on this. Mm. He was always soft on immigration. And when it came to Brexit, and you were a Brexiteer yep. too, as I was, mm -hmm. you know, many of us wanted ECHR dealt yep. with at the same time. It wasn't. I'm asking you, you mm -hmm. know, Liz Truss is favourite to win. Yep. You've backed her. Yep. I don't see any evidence she's going to grip this. Well, what Liz Truss has said that she would do... With, 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 so, first of all, we'll talk about what Pretty Patel has done, uh, and then we'll talk about what Liz Truss will do to build on that. So, Pretty Patel has got the Nationality and Borders Bill through Parliament. Now, that is no small thing. She was fought every step of the way by the Labour Party, by the Liberal Democrats, by the Scottish National Party, by the Green Party. And the BBC. And, and the BBC <laughs> and, and much, of, much of the mainstream media, let's be honest about that. Um, and we had to vote again and again and again in the House of Commons. I recall one day we had 14 separate votes to reject amendments that come from the House of Lords, the unelected House of Lords, which are trying to overturn much of the central thrust. We got that bill through Parliament, and then we had, it was challenged in the courts, and our courts upheld the government's right, what the government have done mm -hmm. is perfectly legal, and then we had a last minute, a literally an 11th hour intervention from the European Court of Human Rights. Now, we can query that, we can argue constitutionally whether or not they should have been able to do that, but what Liz has said that she would do if she gets elected, um, is she would, we have, there's a, a Bill of Rights about to go through Parliament, it a British Bill of Rights, yeah, I know which will this. strengthen that. Hang but on, yeah, it may hang on, it doesn't, it doesn't take away the supremacy of the European Court. And if that proves to be the case, if we can't legislate for that, if we can't do something that will be uh, acceptable to European Court rights, then we would, we would put it in the manifesto at the next general election, the British people have their say, do you want to leave the European Court of Human Rights? Um, and if the British people want to do that, that is exactly what will happen. What, another referendum? No, we just leave. Um, well, because yeah. the government would have the power to do that. Uh, and if we've, if we've had a general election and, general, and the British people have said they've given the Conservative Party yeah. a mandate to do it, then we can do that. No, I get that. I just worry, for the sake of your party, that people will have run out of 
road by then and lost faith and that's the problem I well, think. The thing I would say to that Nigel is, is that my party is trying to solve the solution, what are the other parties doing? Oh, I'm not suggesting Labour will be any better, not for one moment. Gareth Bacon, thank you very much indeed Pleasure. for joining us. Now, I flew out on Friday to Dallas. It was a CPAC conference out in Dallas. Well, you know who the star of the show was. It wasn't me, although I did get quite a good reception. No, the star of the show, of course, was Donald Trump. And he had a remarkable week. All the candidates that he backed in the primaries, and these are candidates going through in, unlike the British Conservative Party, anyone can run for office in America through the open primaries, all the people he backed to become candidates, to be governor, to be senators, they all got through. So he was in a pretty ebullient mood. And he's putting forward a new policy proposal to do with homelessness. Why is that? Well, Skid Row has been in Los Angeles for many, many years, but it is now of an absolutely eye-watering size. And beautiful cities like San Francisco, I mean, it seems hard to believe, but they too now have a massive homelessness problems. 100,000 Americans died last year of opioid deaths. There is a massive problem. Here was Trump's proposed solution to homelessness. All of a sudden, that'll stop very quickly. The only way you're going to remove the homeless encampments and reclaim our downtowns is to open up large parcels, large tracts of relatively inexpensive land on the outer skirts of the various cities and bring in medical professionals, psychiatrists, psychologists, and drug rehab specialists and create tent cities. You have to have it. They have tents right now. They're living in tents with holes in them. You don't have to. So there we are. That's what he's going to do. If he becomes president, they're going to sweep the homeless off the streets, put them into new settlements, give them medical treatment, give them psychological treatment, try and he did say later on in the speech, we won't succeed with everybody, but we will succeed with some. And I can see the Democrats absolutely screaming, this is terrible. Uh, but actually, American cities are in old American cities, are in a state of what feels like terminal decline. You know, the lawlessness that you see in Chicago, the, the open drug taking on the streets of New York, let alone that massive homelessness and begging problem too. And remember, we've talked a bit, you know, with experts here uh, about begging over the course of the last couple of weeks and just giving people on the streets money doesn't help them. It keeps them hooked on whichever drug it is. Trump sounding incredibly tough. You may like it, you may not like it, but I think it may prove very popular with the American people. Water, water shortages, hose pipes bans coming in on Friday for almost everybody in the southeast of England, and yet the What the Farage moment is over the weekend. In the last 24 hours, we've had yet more big water bursts and floods. There was one in Islington, uh, and you can see the water cascading down into the underground station. There was another one in Dartford, and a lot of people say, well, why should I not be able to use my hose to water the roses or whatever it is, when huge quantities of water like this are literally disappearing. And you can find websites that will quote how many billions of water are lost by the water companies. And I understand that anger, I understand that frustration, but to be fair to the water companies, the amount of money they lose is significantly lower than it was 20 years ago. So they are improving things, but as with much 
of our infrastructure, whether it's the underground in London, whether it's the sewers in London, with much of what's in place and we use as our infrastructure, a lot of it actually comes from the time of the reign of Queen Victoria. Not surprising that it quite often goes wrong. Some more thoughts from you on whether we should be deporting Albanians, given that we have the power to do it as they've come here illegally. Graham says, shouldn't be allowed to stay here full stop. UK citizens are suffering with the cost of living crisis and we all have to pay for them to stay in hotels. Send them back to France and let them keep them. Richard says, absolutely, 100% straight to the airport. And he says, yes, immediately, if not sooner. And a final thought on this. Ryan says, of course they should, but as we know, unless we leave the ECHR, lefty lawyers will stop any deportations. My patience is wearing thin. Ryan, I can tell you what, the patience of millions of Conservative voters, particularly in the Red Wall, is wearing very thin on this issue. They voted Brexit, many of them voted Conservative for the first time in their lives, and securing our borders and doing things properly was a big part of that package. But in this case, I do not believe the ECHR would intervene in any way in the case of Albania. I repeat, it is a NATO member. It is an applicant state to join the EU, and it's a place where British people actually go on holiday. As the race for number 10 intensifies, we are giving you the chance to get to know our next Prime Minister. We've invited the two candidates to meet you, the GB News viewers, and let you put your questions to them. Head directly to gbnews.uk or send me your questions to questions at gbnews.uk. Join Alistair Stewart for the People's Forum with Liz Truss. Wednesday at 5, only on GB News, the People's Channel. It's Talking Pints, my favourite time of the day. But before I introduce my guest, I'm going to show you a couple of clips of him in action because I think versatile is a pretty fair word to use for this all-round entertainer and celeb. First, let's see a clip of him singing. Let's start with that. You see, he became very famous as a singer, but he's done some remarkable roles in acting. And here he is, in of all things, Miss Marple. Do you think Josie Turner knew about the adoption business? I don't know. She usually knew what was in the wind. She's got her head on a Josie. Matter of fact, seems to me more likely that Josie planned it all than little Ruby sized it up for herself. Why do you think that? Josie was as cross as I was when Ruby didn't turn up for the exhibition dance. I wondered why at the time. Did it make sense if Josie had told her to keep her nose clean? Wouldn't it? If you could give me just one moment, please, madam. Excuse me, sir, there's a lady outside. I'm busy late. A Miss Marple. <laughs> Well, you've seen him singing, you've seen him acting. Here he is, Chess Conrad. Well, that, that was, oh, cheers, cheers. Good to see uh, you. That that was uh, a great show to do. I just finished uh, touring Joseph for three years. I brought it into the West End, 
Yep. And uh, it's the first time Joseph had been into the West End. But that was the job um, I did straight after that. And it was, it was a great thrill. And, and Miss Marple, the actress, she was lovely. And it was in, done in Bournemouth. And it was really, you know, it, it, was, it was a proper, lovely, wonderful, dramatic show to do and to be in. And uh, we walked on canvas sands and things. I think we did a, a, a shot there one day. And we had a wonderful... It's full of wonderful memories, you know? And she... I cheers. Mean, cheers. Joan Hickson playing the role of Miss Marple. I mean, just magnificent. Oh, oh she's wonderful. I mean, she just... was really wonderful. And then when, when I, you know, and, and, and we sort of... Uh, we became great friends. And then when I looked at her career, long and illustrious career... They say, I have had a long and illustrious career, but you should see people like that, you know. And you look back and she's done such wonderful work. And, of course, I think she was the best Miss Marvel. Mm, no, I do too. So, Jess, you know, you're a Brixton boy. But you yes, I am. And you I'm thrilled to be a Brixton boy. And you obviously decided very early that you wanted to be, you wanted to be a star. Well, I thought, I'm a good-looking fellow. It's no good being a good-looking fellow to being a bus driver. I mean, you miss, you know, you lose the whole plot. So I thought that I'd do something. I didn't quite know what to do. Um, and um, I, I met... I, I was in a, a coffee bar uh, in, uh, in like, a place they call Little China now, but it was a sort of actor's place, which I didn't realise. And I was sitting there one day with a milk and a dash. That's what we used to drink then, <laughs> a milk and a dash. Michael Caine was always in there as well with Terry Stamp. Michael Caine was always with beautiful girls. He, 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 uh, made, he, you know, he was he was a great charmer, and uh, it, so I didn't realise it was a sort of actor's place. And I'm sitting there, and a fellow comes in called Larry Taylor, who I'd just seen in the film that afternoon. And I went, "God, love a duck!" I said, "I've just seen you in a movie." He said, "Yes, you know." I said, "How do you get into showbiz?" He said, "Well, he said you're a good-looking boy." I said, well, there's nothing wrong with your eyesight. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> but I said that sort of thing. Anyway, he sent me, he said, go round to see uh, a woman in the, in the Artists Association, uh, Film Artists Association. It's near the stage door of the London Palladium. Go round there and uh, you can charm her, she said, and you're, you can become a film extra. <gasps> me become a film extra? I couldn't believe it. Sort of in films, you know? Mm. So I went to see this woman... And, she, and they asked you silly things then because people didn't have swimsuits in then, even then. And dinner jackets were out of the question. So she went through, do you have a, a, a you know, swimming suit? Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, do you have a, uh, this, that, the other, that, that? And then the, the thing at the end, do you have a dinner jacket? And that's always, oh, no, dinner jacket. <laughs> now, what do they look like? Now? But I did have a dinner jacket because my father was a mason and they had a ladies' night once a year when, you know, he used to take Mum out to the West End and he bought me his dinner jacket. So I said, yes, I do have a dinner jacket. So she thought, bosh, 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 got, everything was a tick. So I, uh, I uh, the very next day, I had a call and I had to go to Pinewood Studios to do my first film, uh, uh, Something on Parade. What would it be, Privates on Parade? And, Something like that. And so it began. Uh, so it, it was, and 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 the, the first day on the on the set, um, I, I was a soldier, and I was very slim in those days. So you had to take your shirt off and everything. So I looked good, and the fella, the director, put me in in, in a nice position, you know, a film extras, nice position. And then this fat guy came out on onto the set. He was a bit late arriving that day, and he said, um, 
The director said, no, you're, you're, you're too fat, he said. You, you, you can't be in this scene. He said, you've got to be slim, you know, you're, not, you're starving. He said, listen, Governor, he said, I um, only got captured yesterday. <laughs> so I thought, this is the real film game. Everybody's at it, you know. Everybody's telling little porky pies to get on. And I really loved it. I really loved it. And then, you know, I said in the end, you know, a guy comes on and says a couple of lines and uh, he gets his own chair with his name on the back. And I wanted, I wanted my name on the back of the chair. So how do you do that? So that's a different... Um, that's a different... That's equity, a different union. Yeah. In, the, in those days, you had different unions, you know. Um, uh, we don't have unions like but that. But the really now. big break for you, the really big break for oh, you yes, was, was, was I, mean, I mean, oh boy, and suddenly you're a singer. And oh. suddenly you're producing hit after hit after <laughs> hit. And you are voted the most popular singer of England's most popular singer over Adam Fabe and Cliff Richard. Yeah. Who's my dearest friend, of course. Um, and it was just one of those things where there was a, a big a star in America called Fabian, who was a great-looking guy but couldn't sing a note. <laughs> and when Jack Good, uh, you know, I went to see Jack Good, I found him in a, in a hall in, in Chiswick, and Eddie Cochran was there rehearsing with him, Gene Vincent, these big, big uh, sixes icons. And I came in, he'd just seen me in Play of the Week the night before, so I was all over the newspapers, you know, who is this new boy? Because I played a, a pop star in Play of the Week. And it was all over the newspapers. Who was this new boy? Mm. Ba 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 ba. You know. So I went in to see him, and he saw me, because uh, he, he was like the Simon Cowell of that era, you know. So he thinking all the time. He saw me. He thought of something. He said, "Okay, fellas, that's it. Finished for the day." Eddie Cochran walked this way past me. Vin Vincent, Gene Vincent walked. I thought, oh, "My God, these are big icons." Mm. You know. And then he said, uh, "What can I do for you?" I said, "Well." I said, perhaps I could compare one of your shows, you know, because I'd been on television the night before and I'd been, made a big thing in all the papers. So he said, can you sing? I said, no, don't be silly, I can't. <laughs> Me sing. He said, well, he said, you know. So he, he gave me a broomstick to hold on as if it was a microphone and I sang Chicka Chicka Honey, which is a funny number. And he went, it's true, Jess, you can't sing a note, but you have certain... <laughs> <laughs> teenage appeal, I can make you a star by next weekend. I went, what? Make me a star by next week? Next weekend, I get a train with Billy Fury. I go up to Disbury, um, you know, and I, I do a show, and the next day I go back to my hotel room and there's girls under the bed, there, there's girls in the cupboard. And they oh, called, it must we, have been tough. And we called them chicks then, and, and, and Billy Fury said... Oh, yeah, chicks, man, yeah, there's always lots of chicks about. <laughs> but it, but it, it was... It but was it was all going way. brilliantly for you until the Beatles come along. The Beatles came along and, and uh, by that time, yes, I mean, it, 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 the thing is, I, was, I, was, uh, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to get married to Miss Camay, the one beautiful woman in England, you know, Miss Camay. I was sharing a flat with Michael Caine and these wonderful girls came on and uh, I said, because we're in the show business, you know, we're in a flat together, but we weren't famous. Um, and, but, but we knew how to get hold of these lovely girls, you know, and date, date them. So Terence Tamp, Tamp said, it's my turn. I said, no, it's my turn. So I, I dated Renee, and Michael Caine uh, dated his, his particular lady, and he married, and I married. It's, it's amazing, <laughs> isn't it? Have you been married for...? Well, um, yes, I've been married a, an awful long time. I mean, uh, yes, at, at 60... Yeah. We got married secretly and we didn't have to because the Beatles came along and one of them was married and with a stroke of a pen, it was OK to be married. 
So things change well, very quickly. Well, 60 years of marriage. But the, one of the problems you had, I, as I understand it, is as a good-looking young actor and singer, uh, quite a lot of the sort of gay people in that community rather liked you. You had to sort of fight them off. Well, in those days, gay was, gay was a different thing, you know. I remember when I first arrived, Dirk Bogard was the first one to say, oh, hello. And I said, Dirk Bogard said hello to me. <laughs> and they said, the extras said, oh, yes, he says hello to all the boys. Yeah. <laughs> right, so yeah. all of a sudden I'm into a kind of secret society of which I knew which nothing was, about. Which was, I guess, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. A wonderful actor, but, yes, on the pink bus, as you say. And um, so, the, yes, that's been my life, and I, I've been very lucky... Um, I, w I was a pop star because I looked like a pop star. Um, I had a big fan following. Uh, I made a film with Cliff, Serious Charge, and we became good mates. And uh, it's, it's, it's been a life of, of, uh, of a an acting life, but also because, because of my looks and the fact that I, I had uh, some success singing... It's always been singing and acting. No, you've, you've, you've combined it. And you've been recognised for it, and you're wearing a miniature there. Oh, OBE. The Order of yes. the British Empire. How yes. about that? Or Old Big Ed. <laughs> but, yes, it, I was so thrilled. Uh, a Royal Highness Princess Anne uh, gave me the, uh, this great honour, and it was a wonderful day. Uh, she said, I hope you're not, not disappointed I'm not the Queen. And I said, no, ma'am, as long as you're not disappointed I'm not George Clooney. And thank <laughs> God she laughed, otherwise I would have been in the Tower of London. But she had such charisma. Uh, she's phenomenal. Such yeah, charisma. Yeah, yeah. And she was knocked over. Ah, she was absolutely wonderful. And, of course, because she gave me my OBE, um, I, you know, I, I love her even more. But it was a wonderful afternoon, and, and I was so thrilled. And that was because £100,000 I raised for charity. Yeah, well, you've been good at I ran the showbiz football team. Yeah. Uh, I played in goal because I got to wear a different colour costume <laughs> than anybody else. Um, but I love my football and raising money for charity. And you've done golf events and all these different golf, things yeah, that you've yeah. done. And... Well, you know, you know, I don't know if it's because of, uh, of, of, of uh, the Sinatra, the, the clan and all of that, that they all played golf. Uh, that the English boys started to play golf and uh, to be a success uh, in show business, um, you know, if you played golf, it was like almost like as if you played the play. Yeah, well, you've but you've combined your love of sport with charity, but you know, it's quite interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think we can reveal your age to the audience. Is, is I mean, that's okay, isn't it? Oh, yes, I look great. Right, he's 86. I mean, yes, he, he doesn't look it, he's I'm 86. I'm 86. But he's doing pretty well. But you've got loads of work coming up. Yes, it seems that all of a sudden everybody wants Jess Conrad. I mean, I, you know, I thought now... I, 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 I thought I'd moved to, uh, to, to, to the, uh, the Garden of England, yep. which, which is Kent. Yeah. Uh, and I say that because... I thought, oh, that's nonsense. But now I'm there. It is the garden Beautiful, of yeah. England. It is absolutely Beautiful. fantastic. But you're not retiring because you're going to be in Doctors. There's, well, a, I, I there's thought an album I would, coming, but, but I'm told. No, I know people want Jess. <laughs> and I quite like it, too. I thought, oh, my goodness, you know. It's, it's fantastic. They want Jess at this, this age. And I, I'm so thrilled. I mean, show business is a wonderful career. 
It, it keeps you on your toes. You have to keep fit. Yeah. You know. Well, um, you've done it. I, 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 you know. Uh, they, you've you, done it. You've well, done it. I, 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 I wanted to be an English actor. No English actors, when I was a young actor, could take their shirts off like the Americans could. You know, like Tony Curtis and like mm. Burt Lancaster. Uh, no, no English actor, and they were all leading men. They didn't give a, a monkeys about keeping fit or going to a gym. Mind you, going to gyms in those days wasn't a popular thing. <laughs> but you've done all of it, and I've got to tell you, I've got to tell you, it's a fantastic career, and you're thank great you. fun to have on. Thank you. Talking Pints guest, and, thank and it's you. great to be here. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Okay, I've got just one minute left on the show before I hand over to Mark Stein. It is barrage time. Maria asks me, Britney Spears is about to make her comeback to music with Sir Elton John. What are your thoughts? I don't you know what. I reckon they'll probably be pretty great together. I hope she's got herself properly straightened out. Bryony asks me, are we closer to Armageddon than ever before? Uh, what is the last ever, what's the last ever drink you would reach for? Well, I'd want a decent pint, I think, if Armageddon was coming, but maybe more than one. Mickey asks, the poor state of the UK economy is being blamed on the failing NHS, do you agree? No, 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 no. Look, the poor state of the British economy, a lot of it is the fact that we've made a terrible mess of it. Low productivity, high immigration. We've made some terrible mistakes, but, hey, I need an hour to answer that. But I haven't got time because I'm being usurped right now by Mark Stein. <laughs>